This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Pucks with Ags is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Hey, welcome to the Pucks with Hags podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joe Haggerty. You can find my stuff at joehaggerty.substack.com. Uh, got the latest uh, Bruins news out there uh, for everybody to read. My guest today, Josh Cooper, longtime hockey writer, has covered the Nashville Predators, the LA Kings, the Anaheim Ducks, uh, ri- written about some, uh, you know, the world of fancy stats and the business side of, of hockey as well. Uh, lastly, for the athletic, also for Puck Daddy, uh, was the Tennessean that you wrote for before that? The Tennessean, yeah, covered the Predators for the Tennessean for four years during the uh, the er- or I guess mid to end Barry Trotz years or end ish, if you will. But they finally won playoff series when I was there, and then I left, and then they went to the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> well, that's still, you were you were there for a good time uh, in Smashville when Barry Trotz was there. Let's. Thank our uh, sponsors real quick before we get into the hockey stuff. First, uh, we've got FanDuel. Uh, we always love to talk about FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Network. So thanks to them, uh, as always, for sponsoring us. And we also have Factor Meals, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, meals that are ready in two minutes, uh, healthy vegan options, keto, all the stuff that my wife loves to make me eat. Uh, to eat healthier. They, they have that. It's delicious. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. So thank you very much to Factor Meals uh, for the sponsorship as well. And let's get right into the hockey, Josh. Um, let's start, first of all, a, a little Bruins news. Uh, this week, they signed Jester, Jess, Jesper Boquist to a one-year $775,000 contract, basically like the veteran minimum. Uh, pretty decent player for the Devils last year, 10 goals, 21 points in 70 games. Uh, and I wrote about this in the, the latest piece uh, on Substack. Um, it was funny before the draft, uh, Cam Neely, Don Sweeney talked to them in Nashville about how this was going to be the time for young players to break through their chance because the Bruins are cap strapped. These guys are all going to, you know, the, the Johnny Beecher, uh, Oscar Steen, uh, Georgie Merkulov, um, Fabian Lysel, uh, Mark McLaughlin, all these guys that were at Providence last year. Um, for the whole year and couldn't bust through because the, obviously the Bruins had a wagon of a team with all those established NHL players. Those guys are probably thinking, all right, this is going to be the year I'm going to make it. They're in salary cap trouble, but then the Bruins go out and they sign, you know, JVR, uh, they signed Patrick Brown. Uh, they signed several forwards, uh, Milan Lucic on July one. And now they've added Jesper Boquist as well. So like by my addition and my math, it looks like they have seven forwards for six bottom six spots, uh, established NHL players and all these young guys. Maybe they're not going to get their chances this year. So it's going to be interesting, as always. The Bruins have this thing where uh, they kind of always put an NHL player as a barrier between the young guys and being on the roster. And they really essentially have to take the guy's job. And it looks like it's setting up to be that again when I think a lot of Bruins fans assumed um, the young guys were going to get their shot this year. So uh, just your impressions, I guess, uh, having watched the Bruins last year, the offseason that they've had, and, you know, so, sort of what they're readying for uh, this year as as somebody that's watched from afar out there in the West Coast. So I, I, I like the fact that you sort of have to create some level of 
if you just hand it to the young kids, they, you know, a lot of these kids, they've been hearing about how great they are forever, especially a first round draft pick, like a, you know, Fabian Lizell, he was a first round pick, right? Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. Just trying to, trying to remember. <laughs> um, yep. But uh, they, they've been hearing about this forever and fans, I find always build up young players until they actually make it. And so if you bring in these veterans and they have to, beat them out and create some sort of pressure in camp at really very little risk to the team itself. I mean, selling Milan Lucic is, is not a risky move by any stretch. I mean, it's, and it's an awesome PR move yes. on so many levels. Uh, lo- love seeing him back. Um, but it, it creates this ability for, it, it creates this sort of culture to where nothing is handed easily to young players, nor should it be for that matter. And you can tell pretty early on if a guy is going to make it or not. You can see if they have that mindset. But some play, and those are the special guys. But some guys really have to work hard to try to make it into the NHL. And the Bruins, I think they sort of are following that maybe, if you will, '90s Red Wings model, early 2000s Red Wings model of trying to make sure that guys, you know, you have a, you have an old veteran core. We think Patrice Bergeron's coming back. Um, but yeah, we hope, we hope. Oh, <laughs> I hope. hope. I, I've enjoyed well, working with him for the last 19 years. I hope he comes back for number 20. I did a piece on Shea Weber, uh, for the athletic and, uh, and he couldn't have been better, uh, talking about how, about him. He's an absolute, just tremendous person. Uh, but you have this kind of older core trying to, you want to sort of go back one more time with them. Um, maybe this is the last kick at the can this year for them. Maybe they get another one. I have no idea. These guys seem they, they, they age like Wolverine. I mean, it's like <laughs> every single, I feel like, I feel like when Don Sweeney is like trying to look at guys and trying to figure out, you know, guys like, can you heal and age uh, slower or <laughs> slower than most guys? But, um, and, and Bergeron seems to be one of those guys, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you're trying to sort of create this element of, of really making the young guys work for it. And I, I like that. I really, really do. Cause I do think, you know, we can sort of break things down to how a guy's um, course he looks, how how the team plays on the ice when they're there versus when they're not on the ice. But at the end of the day, I think it comes down to culture and buy-in. And you want to create the right type of culture, the right type of buy-in. Are the guys that they sign the right types of guys for that? I have no idea. Uh, but I, I do think it's really good to try to at least make the younger kids work for it and not just hand them those spots. Yeah, definitely. And that creates the culture, right? When you really have to earn it and go out and work for it. And it's it's funny, like there's two sides to the uh, development camp experience um, when you're covering it, as, as opposed to when you're a fan, like pie in the sky, like, you know, every g- player is great and going to be in the NHL. Like what you realize when you've been covering development camps for 10 or 15 years is that of the 32 players that were on the ice, two, three, maybe four or five max are going to be NHL players. You know, you just look at the names on the list every year, and then you look at the names that end up being in the NHL. And I actually did that, um, like, because somebody had asked me about it uh, last week, and I sort of went through all the rosters for 10 years. And, you know, it, it was no more than, like, five for each development camp, I think, that would have eventually been NHL players. Maybe, you know, in a good year six, if you had a really good draft class or whatever. But, uh, you know, you kind of need to temper the expectations and sort of what you're seeing on the ice with their peers versus what it's really going to look like in the NHL. And I think the Bruins are smart to do it that way. Cause you know, you do want, especially if your expectations are to make the playoffs, 
you do want to establish guys with a track record rather than throwing too many players that you really don't know what they're going to do uh, for positive or negative. And you know, it's going to be kind of an inconsistent bumpy ride with a young player when they first come in, um, you know, rather than, uh, rather than go with a player like that, that's a little riskier. You go with a veteran to start at least. And you know maybe the Bruins are buying themselves some time with some of these guys too, letting the young players play in the HL for a few more se- uh, months you know, to start the year. And then, you know, maybe they can make salary cap moves at some point in the year, trade away some veterans and bring up the young guys if they feel more comfortable with it. But I think it's a smart play, the smart long play uh, that the Bruins are making right now. Uh, and there, I think, you know, it's funny. I, I feel like there's also an element of, you know, how in baseball you just bring in a bunch of like relievers and you're hoping a couple of them are going to like really pop and have good years because there's such a you know, there's such a variance from year to year with relievers. A lot of times, I think there's part of that with the bottom six forwards too. You know, you bring in three or four guys and maybe one of them really exceeds expectations and has a great season. And you're, you're, you know, increasing your odds. If you have a bunch that go in there, it's kind of like what the Red Sox did in 2003 when they brought in like David Ortiz, Jeremy Giambi, uh, uh, they had Shea Hillenbrand. They had a bunch of guys playing first first and third base. And then all of a sudden, David Ortiz turns into this like monster. When I think originally they probably thought Jeremy Giambi was going to be the guy that was going yeah. to pop, it, and it didn't happen that way. So, you know, I think there might be an element of that too, with uh, just especially in a in a salary cap environment now, where like you're able to sign all these players for one year, seventy seven seven seventy five k, one year, one million, whatever. Like you mentioned, Luch, uh, one year, one million, maybe one point five if he gets bonuses. Like that is an awesome investment from a PR standpoint, from a toughness and intimidation standpoint, what he's going to bring, like standing up for players and putting the fear of God into the other team, you know, from uh, a guy that knows his role now and is 34, 35 and wants to win. And if he's the scratch and he's the 13th forward some nights, he's totally going to get that too. And I think that makes sense uh, for short money to plug those kind of guys in. Um, but moving on, uh, cause we do want to get to the NHL, uh, also this week, uh, Bruce Cassidy, awesome move, uh, took his day with the Stanley cup back to Massachusetts. He spends his summers here. He has a house on the Cape, uh, and he started a, a Cassidy Murray foundation, helped start it. Uh, uh, a girl, a young girl that tragically passed away. Her best friend was Bruce Cassidy's daughter, um, Shannon. And uh, the Cassidy's came back with the cup today to kickstart the, the Cassidy Murray foundation named uh, for that young girl that tragically passed away. And, and that's how he decided uh, to, to use his day with the cup. And I think it speaks so much to Bruce Cassidy as a person, Bruce Cassidy as, as the hockey coach, Bruce Cassidy as a dad, uh, the Cassidy family. And it's kind of why there was such an uproar here in Boston when he was let go last year. And they brought in Jim Montgomery because he was such a quality person and a good coach. And, you know, he continues to show after finally winning the cup and getting to the mountaintop, like what a uh, A plus person he is. It's interesting you bring that up because first off, when he was fired, I, I was pretty surprised when that happened. A lot of people were. I think he was surprised. Had, what? <laughs> I think he was surprised. Yeah. I mean, well, he had had just so much success and, and also he's a he's a really great tale and I mean in some respects I mean in a lot of respects Jim Montgomery is too in regards to just kind of not having the success you wanted in your first job and then getting a second chance and really doing something with it um but and and between with Bruce Cassidy and his first job in the NHL and then moving on to with the Bruins and just taking off there and now he's a Stanley Cup champion with Vegas and it's just 
And, and you see that you saw it too with Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh. But uh, one of the things I've said this, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is just I, I truly do believe buy-in and culture is super important. And with the Bruins and what sort of, and, and you mentioned Bruce Cassidy and what he was able to do in Vegas, they bought in. They completely bought it. They, yes, they had depth. Yes, they were able to trade for Jack Eichel and, and Mark Stone. And they, they had a lot of salary cap flexibility because of the expansion situation. And they drafted really well. You have to give them major props for how they just sort of were able to manipulate the system super well and then turn a lot of those players into better contracts. And the players they had ended up not being on huge salaries. But at the end of the day, they he helped foster a culture there and buy-in at a time when you needed buy-in. And they were able to go on a major run and they had every single person up and down the lineup playing extremely well. That speaks to Bruce Cassidy. That speaks to the type of person he is. You mentioned his day with the cup, bring it back to Massachusetts, uh, the foundation, and have had nothing but great dealings of him, at least from my perspective in the past. But I think it's also a lesson for the Bruins in that not to say, oh, you know, you let go of the you let go of the wrong coach and brought in the wrong coach. That's not the case. I think right. what just happens is they just need to get buy-in at the right time. And oftentimes it just happens when you least expect it. Like when the Washington Capitals won in 2018, we thought they were cooked. Um, we thought they were done. And we we thought that their run was over. And then all of a sudden they just bought into they're almost about to go down i think it was 3-0 to the blue jackets and then started a comeback in that first round series then er, then you got buy-in up and down the lineup from every single player and then they end up winning the stanley cup and the same thing happened with vegas this past year so but who, about, who was who was in the center of that buy-in with the washington capitals it was your buddy trots sorry trots uh, i mean yeah. he worked miracles with that team and that shows you how important the right coach is at the right time for the right team. You know, he's, he's a miracle worker as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah, you know, I haven't worked as closely as you did with him, but every dealing I've had with him, super impressed with the way he does things and the way he runs an operation. Well, I've always said when I, well, I not always said, but I said when he got hired to sort of be the GM and waiting, if you will, of Nashville, I said, look, I don't know if he's going to, I don't know what type of job he's going to do as a GM of the predators, but I know he's going to hire the right people because yep. he always does that. He's really good at reading people and reading the room. Now, I haven't dealt much with Jim Montgomery, but I do know that, and you saw it in some respects, and not to bring up any bad memories for Bruins fans with the Panthers this year, was that they bought in to whatever Paul Maurice was selling at the right time and were able to take it far enough to where all of a sudden think the wheels kind of fell off in the final. Maybe they got tired, they got injured. Yeah, uh, they, they were definitely banged up. You could see them running out of gas at that point. Yeah, the, the, the brakes stopped going their way. But but it really, I think when you have a good coach and you see it, you're in Boston with a guy like Bill Belichick, who's been able to just be there forever. Um, if you have a good coach, guys buy in, guys listen. I mean, I covered one of my previous jobs was covering Nick Saban in Alabama when he first got there. And I saw the year, I think it was, I want to say it was 08 when all the players started buying into him and they were like a machine and they weren't the most talented team. This was not a bunch of five-star recruits yet. They had freshmen who were five stars, but the older guys weren't. The older guys looked incredible. And I think the same thing goes in hockey where you just have the margins are so small right now with the salary cap that if you have the right core, which I do believe the Bruins have, I love Brad Marchand. 
Um, I, I love Patrice Bergeron. I, I love David Pasternak. Um, I think their goaltending situation is solid. Uh, yeah. No problems there. I mean, they, they can win games. Um, I think when you have the right core, and, and obviously, oh my God, I love Charlie McAvoy. Sorry, I can't believe I left him out. He's one of my favorite defensemen. Uh, him and Lindholm. Like, uh, I, that, I, we've talked a lot about if Patrice Bergeron, like what if he's not coming back? Even if he doesn't come back, like they're still a playoff team because of the talent oh. they have. The two guys oh. at the top of the back end, the goaltending, Marshan Pasternak, like they're still, they're not going to suck even if uh, Bergeron doesn't come back. Yes, they'll, you know, they're not going to win 65 games and have 135 points. But like, there's still the the bones in uh, of a really good playoff team, even if they're not legit like Stanley Cup contenders. They'll still beat the Maple Leafs. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yes, well, we're going to get into the Maple Leafs. That's actually, I'm glad you said that because like, let's get into uh, the winners and losers and kind of like who we liked what they did and maybe didn't like what they did uh, to this point in the NHL offseason. And like, obviously there's some incompletes because we still feel like Eric Carlson is going to get traded somewhere. There's still some players out there that maybe there's going to be movement in the next month or two, even though this is the time of year where everybody up in Canada is going to their cottages by the lake and kind of <laughs> shutting the phone off uh, from about July 15th until August 15th. It's kind of, you know, super dead usually uh, in NHL circles. And this is the time when everybody like us can go on vacations too. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I wrote an article on Substack about, and I graded all the NHL off seasons. And, uh, so we'll go back and forth with some teams here. I'll, I'll give you one winner right off the bat, uh, Detroit Red Wings, uh, Steve Eiserman, you know, they got Alex to I thought that was a really good trade, uh, signed JT Comfort. They got Kayla Yamamoto and Clem Costin from Edmonton because, you know, they're in salary cap hell in Edmonton as well. That's one of the teams out there. Shane Goss to spare a one-year deal. He can be their power play quarterback if they want. Um, I, I like how they continue to build and they continue to bring in players. And you feel like Stevie Y is doing in Detroit what he did in Tampa and building a long-term winner uh, and putting all the pieces in place. And it's part of an Atlantic division that's just getting better and better. When he, when he drafted Moritz Sider, uh, we were all just sort of like, wait, what does he know that we yeah, don't? Exactly. And, and, and apparently he did because yep. the guy's an absolute beast. But I, I totally agree with you on him. I, the thing that I always struggle with with the Red Wings is that the myth of Steve Eiserman versus what he is, because he built such an amazing group in Tampa, a group that I don't know if we'll ever see something like that again in the salary cap era with how he was able to accomplish what he did. And it was almost like they just kept, there, there just was always new guys coming in every single year that I wasn't expecting like a Braden Point, for example, who ever saw him becoming a superstar player? I don't, I definitely didn't. But, and, and I, but I think the big difference of what he's had to work with with Detroit versus Tampa is that Tampa, he had Steven Stamkos, he had Victor Hedman. There was some luck that enabled them to get very, very, very high draft picks and also high draft picks and generational players too. He hasn't had the luxury to, he's gotten some good players in Detroit for sure, yep. but he hasn't had the luxury to be able to do that. 
but I like what he's doing in regards to just saying he's uh, he's trying to build. He's also cutting his mistakes if he can. Like for example, uh, Zadina uh, yep. trading. And I wouldn't say you know trading Hronik is a mistake, but or having him was a mistake. But you're, you're trading him and you're trying to build more uh, with your youth, which I, I get. You're 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 kind of you're basically make, taking making moves on somewhat lower risk veterans, um, and you're you're really you're and you're building something with depth that can last. I mean, I, and I just think of say the Bruins model, for example, of just, or, or even the Bruins model or the Vegas model, if you will, of just having, being able to have your core, but also being able to have those four lines that you can roll out and those three defense pairs and strong goaltending, if you can make it. I mean, he's had some struggle, some struggle, some struggles with goaltending, yeah. uh, but they have some, but they also have some prospects too in their, in their system. So I, I do like what he's doing. I agree with you. I, I think as far as the way this offseason was going to play out with the the cap and whatnot, I think he made about as the best moves you could possibly make. They should be a playoff team next year. And also on top of that, they weakened a rival in Ottawa. Yep. And he saw that weakness there. He saw the ability to weaken a rival and he did it. And now they're going to jump them. And Ottawa was supposed to be a team on the rise. And they still may be a team on the rise with their younger players, but they're they're not going to be as strong without Debrinket now. No, so definitely. And I mean, uh, you know, I, 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 it's funny. I, I think the one thing you can do, like the Tampa model, if he wants to follow it in Detroit, as far as staying out of salary cap jail, is you need to hit on your third, fourth, fifth round picks in the draft and find like yeah. the diamonds. Like, I Braden points the perfect example of that. You know, like I still remember the first time. I saw him play in Tampa. He was a rookie and I just watched one game. The Bruins were playing Tampa. And I, and I think between periods, I went over and started asking the Tampa writers. I remember if it was Joe Smith or who it was, but I went over and said, what's the story with this guy? Like he like flashes, like he was noticeably good, you know, yeah. you could see it right away. And I was like, I'd never heard of him before. Where'd he come from? And I, you know, I had to look it up from there because he was just that good when he was on the ice that it was very noticeable. Uh, and they hit on guys like that all the time. You know, you're going to have to do that in Detroit. And, and like it, that's part of it is like he had a great team of people working for him in Tampa scouting all that where they were clicking on all cylinders, not only getting like Stamkos and, and Hedman, but like really hitting on those kind of players, the points of the world and others where they kept replenishing with players from their system that they draft and developed. And that's, you have to have kind of a draft and development machine to steal the uh, phrase from Theo Epstein when he was with the the Red Sox. Uh, if you're going to be, you know, sustainably good in a salary cap environment like the NHL, uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you have any uh, any winners or losers you're you're hot on right now, Josh? Uh, I like what Nashville did. I wouldn't call them say a winner or a loser, but I, I like what they did just because. Ryan O'Reilly's a good player. He's a winning player. Yeah, I, I I like what Barry Trotz is doing there. And again, I, I, I will say I'm a card-carrying member of the Barry Trotz fan club. <laughs> and I until he screws up, I will say that I like what he's doing. But he clearly saw that there needed to be a culture change there. He got he got rid of two guys you they needed to get rid of. <laughs> I mean, like those contracts that Matt Duchesne and Ryan, and not Ryan O'Reilly, sorry, with Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson were, were just terrible. They were yeah. so bad. 
And I just years ago they, they were they were bad. And I mean they they had to they had to make the Johansson move when they did. I still personally to this day I still believe they win the Stanley Cup. He doesn't get hurt. So that that team, when you talk about buy-in, that's another team that bought in and went super far. And I, I I saw them play Anaheim, and they just were so much better than Anaheim that year. And Anaheim was fully healthy, and Nashville wasn't. But anyway, I like what Nashville did. Um, I like the moves they made. I like sort of how they've realized they have to take a bit of a step back, but also bring in some veterans to try to move the culture forward. I think that's really important. I think Barry Trotz knows what he's doing. I don't know what LA did. Um, like as far as it could work out really, really well, or it might not, but I, I, think... I put LA as both, right? Because yeah, like you like the fact that they like went for it with Pierre Luc Dubois, and they kind of needed a star player that's like in his you know mid twenties. Kind of he fits the profile I feel like of what the LA Kings absolutely need when you look at him on paper. But like you're taking a risk on a guy that's flamed out of two organizations because he's basically quit on them. Like that that that's an awfully big risk unless the guy is super motivated to play for that team in that market. Yeah, but you look at where he's played and nothing against Columbus or Winnipeg. I've loved going there. I have not, no issue with the organizations there. And I've heard in Columbus that they they treat their players incredibly well. But, yep. uh, but and, and I mean, Winnipeg is a tremendous hockey market to play in. But I mean, LA's LA's LA. And I don't think he's going to flame out of here because it's a, you can actually get away from hockey when you're here. And the weather's great. That's and that's true. two things that both of those other markets can't really offer. And I look at that team now, I look at the depth they have. Andre Kopitar is still incredible. Uh, they got Philip Dano. Uh, they can now Quinn Byfield can actually really, he can develop and move on up uh, without having to sort of take the harder matchups and do it with less pressure because there are three centers in front of him. Or you can even just put him on wing and see if he can develop on wing at this point. And their forward group is really, really good. And if you want to win in the Western Conference, you need those two-way forwards that can shut down the team that beat them the last two years, which is Edmonton. And I think you have strong two-way forwards that can shut down those big offensive players. So I I really like what they did. You mentioned the incompletes. Uh, Pittsburgh, not so sure where they're going. Uh, just depends on if they get Eric Carlson. I always like what Carolina does. Because yeah. um, they seem to make really smart moves and smart investments all the time. My only question with Carolina, and I put them as both too, because I really like the Dmitry Orlov signing. Um, yeah. You know, he, seeing him in Boston, he's still got a lot in the tank. I actually, I saw him do things in the Bruins with the few, you know, the m- couple months he was there that I didn't think he was capable of when he was with Washington, especially offensively. Like he kind of, got into a little more of like a Roman Yossi Rover thing when he was yeah. with the Bruins, where you'd find him in spots in the offensive zone where you usually don't find defensemen like creating plays and making things happen. And it was a really interesting dynamic along with the, you know, I, I didn't realize this shot was as good from the point as it was too. So like, there's a lot of offensive upside with him in addition to, you know, be, being 5'11", 210 pounds, hitting hard, <laughs> playing physical D, like being kind of a fire hydrant defenseman where I think he's going to just obviously add to what's already a really good defenseman core uh, with the Carolina Hurricanes. And it's a great move for them to get him on a two-year deal. You know, in a weaker free agent class, he was probably the best free agent out there, certainly one of them. Um, but the one thing I was questioning my questioning with the, the Hurricanes was Freddie Anderson and bringing him back. 
and kind of they've got a young prospect goalie. They have Antti Ranta, and now they brought him back as well. And it's kind of it feels like it's a really crowded sort of backfield for the the goalie situation. Um, you know, especially for a team that could have upgraded, you know, other places with some of the players that they lost. Yeah, and one of the big issues with them, obviously, is that they can possess the puck really well, but they just can't score when they need it. But yep. also getting Andrei Sveshnikov back, I think, yep. will take care of that yep. in a big way. Um, at least we hope. Those ACL injuries are just I, – I, when he got hurt, because we also like him so much, he seems like such a good guy um, and an entertaining player. That, that was painful, <laughs> like, seeing yes. that happen. Um, so I, 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 I like, but I, I like how they invest. I like, I like how they operate. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they made some really, really strong moves, um, incompletes. I mean, I mentioned Pittsburgh, uh, Maple Leafs with William Nylander. What's going to happen there and Austin Matthews for that matter. Honestly, I think the Leafs, uh, I put them down as a loser because, um, it's more of the same with them, right? They got Tyler Bertuzzi, who, you know, obviously that they weakened the Bruins by taking him when the Bruins kind of wanted to keep him. Um, and, you know, they got, uh, you know, the, the Max Domi thing's a good story, him going to the Leafs and playing there. Like, that's fine. Um, but, like, I look at the team that they're putting together there, and it feels like they're not getting better in any of the places they really need to get better at in order to win and win in the playoffs and, you know, separate from what they do during the regular season where they're just scoring goals and playing run and gun hockey from yeah what you need to do in the playoffs. Like when, when you watch the Leafs in the playoffs, Ryan O'Reilly was like one of their best players, you know, and they lost him. Noah Lola Chari was one of their best players, an impactful player. Uh, and he's gone too. And like the other guys that, you know, the star players, they were in and out, but, you know, Austin Matthews didn't have a goal in the second round, right? Of the playoffs when they ended up losing that series. I seem to and never get discussed. <laughs> it, well, it's, it's the same thing though. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's like, they're not learning from their mistakes and they're not like saying, Hey, we need to build our, up our defensemen more. We need to improve our goaltending situation. We need to work on the things that we're, you know, short on that we keep like running into problems with in the playoffs. Instead, they keep bringing in guys like Tyler Bertuzzi, who was, not good defensively like as much as he was good in front of the net on the power play and in net front in general definitely gritty has a lot of offensive skills showed a lot of great chemistry with David Pasternak in the short time they were playing together like he's got some things that you like about him and he obviously he had a 30 goal season with the wings a couple years ago but he's not a good five on five defensive player like he's a he's a liability out there in the defensive zone and just defensively in general and you're adding that to like a bunch of players that are kind of already like that to a degree to begin with. Like, I, I just don't feel like, first of all, I thought Kyle Dubas was overrated as a GM to begin with. And, but now they've brought somebody else in and it feels like they're doing the same stuff over and over again. We do have factor meals, uh, to help us out. America's number one, ready to eat meal kit. When it does get busy, when it does get crazy, when we do need a, a quick meal, Uh, They fuel you up fast with flavorful and nutritious, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. Takes less than two minutes to cook them. They're fresh, never frozen. Meals ready in two minutes, like I said. Uh, They have calorie-conscious options going upscale with some of the things they're offering now, like surf and turf, surf and surf meal options, roasted garlic filet mignon and shrimp and Cajun spiced shrimp and salmon, which is like right in my wheelhouse. This is the kind of stuff I'm all about. So it's got everything for everybody. 
Uh, there's 34 plus chef prepared, dietitian approved weekly options for meals. Uh, you can get snacks, you can get breakfast items. Like it's, it's, it's a great deal. Um, so if you want to get Factor Meals, uh, go to factormeals.com slash hags50 and use the code hags50 to get 50% off of your fir first box. It's a great deal. Uh, you know, I I've tried it. It's fantastic. I recommend it to you. We love these ready to, to make meal kits, especially when we're, we're on the go with our kids. So one more time, that's factormeals.com slash hags50 to get 50% off your first box. You won't be sorry if you go to Factor Meals. It gets the hags thumbs up seal of approval. So one thing I think, I, I think you'd probably agree with me on this. You've been around the league long enough is that you can't manufacture team toughness. You no. see guys, it has to come from your core. Your core has to learn your core has. To, and I, I honestly, I've seen, I think Mitch Marner has gotten incredibly gritty and tough over yep. the last years. I really like the way his game has evolved. I think William Nylander is completely within his right to ask for $10 million because I've seen his game elevate during the playoffs. Austin Matthews is going to want a lot of money. You're going to have to pay him because he does the one thing that it's hardest to do in the NHL, which is score goals. Yep. Where has he been in the biggest moments, though? Yep. And... I think he gets there eventually because we've seen it happen with the guys like Alex Ovechkin in the past. Well, no, actually, Obi always had good playoffs. Yeah. Like, right? Like, he did. No, yep. he, always, he always played really, really well. I mean, sometimes he would, like, uh, flame out and start yelling, swearing and rushing at his goalie and throwing him under the bus, and he would do crazy stuff like that. Like, you always worried about, I think, the combustible side of Ovechkin in the playoffs. Like, he would lose control and not be the leader that he really needed to be. And I think that was issues that they had, but like, you're right. He, he performed on the ice. I think his thing was more like tearing into guys that weren't performing at his level or couldn't perform at his level. He tried too you know? hard. Almost. He would sometimes be that too. Like for 15 sure. shots a game or yep. <laughs> something like that Yep. Uh, in the playoffs. But uh, with Matthews, I don't know. I just, and again, he's, he's going to be worth the money that they're going to offer him. At, and you know, the Leafs, I'm sure, are going to try to resign him, but yeah, I, I, I feel like, do can you? I don't. I need a grit factor from him. The one video I saw this year that really spoke to me, and I want to say it was uh, Mike Rupp posted it on Twitter. Was I think he started somewhat of a tussle with some team, and had like Mark Giordano just come in and finish it, and he was just sort of like waving like haha like the bully in the simpsons essentially <laughs> and you know i i i just feel like you can't do that if you're going to be a leader like no. this not in the playoffs not in, this game, kind of not in the playoffs like you got to be gritty you gotta i remember when i played as a kid they always talked about gray areas you gotta work hard in the gray areas and look he can score a ton of goals and that comes in major handy in the playoffs when you're not doing it and you're not doing the other things. Uh, and then you want to get paid money that Connor McDavid, who literally looks like he's living and dying on every shift, trying to will his team to win. Yep. And Ryan Dreisaitl, who somehow is able to score, how many points was it two playoffs ago on one leg? Yep. I mean, those how, guys about Matt, how about Matthew Kachuk with the Panthers? And yeah. did in these playoffs in the whole season, really elevating that team and living in the gray areas. And that's a guy that's got tons of skill. 
Um, you know, tons of offensive skill, like it is a, you know, a lottery pick was like a really good player to begin with. And he does a lot of the things that Austin Matthews cannot do, will not do, does not do. And it's very obvious come playoff time, you know, why yeah. the team went on a run where they won a bunch of series and ended the season of the greatest regular season uh, team in, in NHL history. And the Leafs like squeaked by a first rounder and like celebrated like they won the cup. And, you know, we're, we're out again in the second round and now the GM's gone. Like it's, it, it's been obvious, like the Bruins and the Leafs have had a lot of playoff series against each other. So I've watched that. He's watched a lot of it. Yeah. Up close a lot. And Austin Matthews is extremely lacking when it comes to the playoffs, when it comes to the stuff that you need to do to have success, you know, and, and, you know, you would hope with players like that, they eventually learn and they figure it out. But to this point, even though he's like scored 60 goals in the season, done some other things, he has not learned the lessons playoff wise that you need to learn well what made like what made a guy like Sidney Crosby so great was that he and, and it's been said a million times I'll say it again though is that incredible talent played like a grinder the whole time Steve yep. Eisenman I've always thought Sidney Crosby was they always said he was the next Gretzky or whatever I thought the way he plays is Steve Eisenman basically the yeah. next Steve Eisenman, like just gritty but with incredible like extreme talent uh, Jonathan Taves at his peak was was so similar and Patrick Kane just elevated his play at the big moments to score those big points score those big goals um, all those great players and when you I look at it in the Bruins and I mean maybe they had some issues with it this year with Pasternak not being able to do that as well but I mean he's gone on some runs with the Bruins in the past so yep. you can't say that he hasn't played well in the playoffs but he also hasn't had to be quite the guy like Matthews has had to be. And I, I think Matthews still has it in him. He's still pretty young, but yeah. he's, he's got to show it now. Um, and as you said, it's more of the same from them. If you had to pick a piece of the core that you had to get rid of, I mean, and he's not going to sign a big tip and he's not going to, and you're offering him a max deal essentially, and he's not going to sign it. Like, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, hey, in a league where even in, in a league where even Wayne Gretzky can get traded, like anything can happen, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if that's the way it goes with them. But like, I, I, it gets to a certain point if they think he's not coming back, especially with a guy like Brad tree living now the GM in Calgary, who is probably very sensitive about getting burned by players. <laughs> don't want to be there anymore. And just, you know, leaving them hanging. Uh, you know, with John, Johnny Gaudreau and Kachuk, Gaudreau especially, obviously. And he kind of learned the lesson by trading Kachuk when he did. But, like, that's an interesting dynamic with that kind of a situation and that GM who, like, lived it in Calgary um, before. And that's going to be interesting to watch. You know, Calgary is another team I had in my losers yes. category because, you know, Tyler Toffoli obviously didn't want to play there anymore, and they moved him. Uh, and they did get Sharon Govich, who was a decent player, no question about it. He's fine. But um, it, it felt like there was even more coming, like more players that seemingly didn't want to be there. You know, you'd heard a lot about Elias Lindholm, Noah Hannafin, like other big pieces that might be moving on. And Calgary feels like a team to me that like is starting like a decline phase where like people are getting out of Dodge and where like, you know, they're they tried to maintain with that trade they did with Florida and they did a pretty good job with a player that, you know, didn't want to be there anymore, but it feels like they're going from the high point they were at to kind of coming back down. I, mean, I just would have kept Kachuk 
and just sort of just dealt with it like what they do in the nba or whatever like yeah. just deal with it <laughs> i mean yeah. trade them at the deadline kind of like at least have them for a few you know yeah like season whatever yeah i mean easier i mean it's easy to say that now and i think one of brad for living's greatest strengths back then and i you know and i don't know how craig conroy is gonna work out but one of his greatest strengths was that he seemed to actually care about his players and listen yep. to them and so when a guy said i don't want to be here anymore and he tried to accommodate that um and you heard the things he said about johnny Gaudreau when he left there were lots of there was nothing bad he said on the record about him. It was all good stuff. Whereas you've seen situations where players leave as UFA, GMs feel torched. I remember David Poyle just being extremely upset about Ryan Suter leaving and Ryan Suter just basically being like, wait, I, why is he so upset? It was my right to leave. Right. Um, so, which I, I, I agree with Ryan on, on that, on that, on that front. It's like, you have an opportunity in your life to go make more money and live where you want to live. Why would you not do it? Oh, but, DMs make decisions like that all the time with players when the hammer is in there, you know? Yeah, the, right, exactly. Time. So, but, 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 but as far as just, as just Calgary goes, I loved their team two years ago. I yeah. thought it was so good. I, I thought that was a Stanley cup contender. It's been really sad to see what's happened since then with them because I, I mean, I covered Daryl Sutter out here. I really liked him. He was always really nice to me. I remember like him coming up to me once, like before media session, he goes, sup champ. <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the joke we used to have is that Daryl would like, you know, like, you know, do the arm touch or whatever, be like, Hey buddy, like, you know, not in a, you know, creepy way or whatever. No, no. In like, a friendly oh, way. Hi, how are you? Yeah. Like, like, deal maybe a little socially awkward not knowing how to you know how to sort of say hi to a media member but yeah I, it's been sad seeing what's happened there because i it's a good place to play it's a great fan base um yep. yeah the building sucks but whatever um and it, it's a good it's a, yeah it's a great market and players just don't want to play there and i i don't really understand why but because I live out West, I like being out West. I think there is a more laid back vibe out in the Western part of this sort of North American, North of Mexico, if you will, part of the continent in pro sports that you don't get on the East coast. Yeah. And yes, in city it's intense, but we have other stuff to do out like out there. You can go skiing in Banff instead of going to a hockey game and players probably don't, there's pressure, but they probably don't feel it as much. So Maybe they, maybe players don't get treated very well in the organization. I, I have no idea. Well, I uh, feel like some of it is definitely, there is a, there is a Canadian fishbowl sort of thing where they get treated differently. I think the Canadian markets, uh, you know, where TSN's there every day and it's a little more intense yeah. than it would be in some of the other markets. So there is that, like there's a faction, of players, <laughs> yeah. there's a faction of players that probably aren't interested in that or don't want that as much. But like, I think that's a small fact. Most, players want to play in a place where it matters where the fans are into it where you know they're one of the big shows in town like you know Calgary in Montreal right like, not even close in Montreal he yeah not even close I mean he's played in Vancouver I, I mean when you're talking about Toffoli in general so yeah um I, I I don't know but I I I feel a level of sadness with Calgary just because of how that's that's shaken down and also Daryl and the parting of ways. And yeah. I, I like Daryl. 
It's always but nice. I mean, he is also like one of those coaches, and we talked about this with Bruce Cassidy. He's definitely one of those coaches that I think at a certain point, the players just don't want to buy in anymore to whatever yeah. he's selling, you know, because it's a hard style and he demands yes. a lot, which is fine. Like that's what hockey coaches should do. That's how they get results. Like it's sort of like a, a you know, the John Tortorella effect when he goes somewhere and you know, he's not going to be there forever because at a certain point players are like, I just don't want to do this anymore. You know, and Quick towards it, the side. Yeah, because uh, because you know, I, I know towards is a Massachusetts guy. Yeah. Uh, yep. So uh, a few things. First off, and also there's another Massachusetts guy, Dean Lombardi, former GM of the Kings. Yep. GM of the World Cup team, comparing towards to Cincinnatus. Um, some I don't remember if it was Roman or Greek. Like <laughs> person. <laughs> Sounds Roman. Sounds Roman. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, that was great. The other, I remember hearing stories about Torts when he coached in Vancouver is that there is this area, I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's called Point Roberts. Yeah. And it's this little slice that I think it's below what it would be, the 47th parallel, is that it? Um, yeah. That is connected to a Vancouver suburb, but it's actually in the United States. And I, I remember hearing Torts live there and would go back there after morning skate essentially to walk his dogs. Because you know how much Torts loves his dogs. Oh, yeah. And, and when you, and I, I lived in Vancouver for a year and you go to this place and it's weird, you're in this suburb of Vancouver, which is like, it was very, very urban and built up. And you're in Point Roberts where there is just nothing. It is like small, tiny town U.S. And, <laughs> but it's, but it's not connected to the U.S. mainland. It's connected to Canada. And I so think you could say that he was still living in the U.S. even though he's yeah, in the Canucks. Exactly, and because so, he's torts and he's yes. you know he's, he's an American hero, but exactly, uh, yeah. But, but that reminds me of Mike Babcock, who would always go for a jog along that like boardwalk on the lake uh, in Detroit when the Joe when they still played at the Joe, and he would like do his run right before he came in to do the media availability with all the reporters. Yes. I'd see him out there when I was walking to the Joe in the morning and he'd come flying by me and he was just about to go in to talk to the Detroit reporters. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But it, it, it's like these, these coaches, I, 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 I love it. I love the, it's so funny. Some of them. Um, yeah. But just, just seeing towards like unwind walking his dogs. I'm like <laughs> imagining in my head, the beach in point Roberts and the traffic we, I live in, in Southern California. Everyone talks about how bad the traffic is. The traffic in Vancouver is, brutal and so then i'm just imagining him trying to fight back through the traffic after <laughs> being in point roberts because again it's it's not close to then get back to the game and then you know try to pick a fight with the calgary flames dressing room yeah exactly <laughs> like, well that's why he was at a boiling point after fighting through the traffic yeah i mean it must it must have been i, I used to do a podcast the athletic with shane o'brien um uh, who you, who was actually I think was there playing for the Flames and Bob Hartley was the coach there and yep. he, he always had some great stories. He did not like playing for Bob at all. But he, well, another uh, hard driving coach that like was awfully demanding. Yeah, we actually had a pod. I don't know if it's still out there, but where he pointed out how Bob crossed the line. He thought on a lot of guys, um, and I, I didn't disagree with if Shane was saying what was actually ha what actually happened. I, I, I wouldn't disagree with him. Um, I, you know what, though? I think like I think a lot of coaches do that at the NHL level. And we hear about some. We don't hear about others. But like that's I think usually where the buy in ends or when it stops happening is when there's been too many times where a coach has kind of done something to cross the line where the players are like, you know, what's this guy doing? Or like 
they see the way they treat somebody else and they don't like it. And all of a sudden they lose them, you know, because yeah. of what they did to somebody else. that wasn't even them. Like, I think that's very, I think that's where the message gets lost. And I think that's where the, the voice and the message go away or the, the players start to tune out the coach is when they feel like there's been too many of those along the way, yeah. which speaks to like, you know, there's a expiration date on the coaches after a few seasons, when a couple of these things have happened, all of a sudden they, you know, build up and it turns into that. Like, I think even, you know, the coaches that would seem like mild mannered to, to the media, I think that's what happens, you know? And I think that's, that plays a big role in it. Um, yeah. Whether it's Hartley or somebody else, I think that is extremely common at that level. Yeah. No. And that's what I think why Barry Trotz was able to stay as long as he did in all those places is because he read the room very, very well. Yeah. I mentioned how good he is at getting people. And he pointed this out to me and I, I agreed with him always is when he, everyone says, Oh, he's a defensive coach. And this maybe sort of plays into more winners and losers in the off season is that he was never really a defensive coach in Nashville, nor the Islanders or even Washington for that matter. He was a coach who demanded players move their feet and he played to players and team strengths. He had some of the best offensive teams in the NHL in Washington. Yeah. You've got a coach to the talent that you have around you. And he was definitely doing that. That was, that was his personnel. Cause, and, that, and that's what he had. And so because that was his personnel and that's what he had, uh, that's what he coached to. And so when I look at, say, the Islanders right now, I, I don't know where the offense nor the defense is really coming from. Well, I, I had them as a loser because they, yeah. all they did was basically re-up their players. Um, yeah. You know, the players that they, they, they some young guys, and they, they were obscene. They were like eight-year deals for a bunch of those players. But that's uh, they they were in the Alex DeBrinket sweepstakes. They were in the run for him. They did not get him. So clearly, they feel like they need more up front scoring punch wise. There's no question about it. And all they really did was status quo, like signing their own players. Are, are they a better team than they were a year ago at this point? I think so, absolutely. And that's that is one thing I have. I, I, I'm trying to take a bit of a holistic view or a big picture view of them. Is that yep. I, I think? Look, I mean, Lou put his money where his mouth is. He made the Horvat trade and then he signed him. And good for him on that front. So I, I add that to the postseason moves. Yep, that's true. So, and I like Bo Horvat a lot. I think he's gritty. I think he works hard. I, I like him a lot as a, as, as a player. Um, as a 1C, not so much. But, and I, and I like, but, you know, but they still don't have that. I mean, I guess Barzil is a dynamic talent, but they did. I don't know. I, I don't know what the long-term nor short-term plan is there. And if I want to go around the tri-state area, I don't know what the Rangers continue to do. Um, well, I, I think <laughs> they, they course, they course corrected because it was the wrong move to bring in Tarasenko and Kane and like try to put an all-star team on the ice at the end of the season and go into the playoffs. And I think they realized they didn't have enough pucks for all those players. And, and, you know, they were going about it the wrong way. So at least they didn't try to continue to chase after that, like the next shiniest object. And they did get like bargain players. Like they got Blake Wheeler for like 800 K. Um, and I had him, wait, I had them on here. Who else did they get? I forget. Or I didn't have them on here, but I liked like, at least that they weren't trying to do the same thing that they did before where they got a bunch of bargain players in there. But like, to your point, are the Rangers better, now than they were at the end of last season i, I don't think so what are they i i mean and it continues yeah. to be at least under jeff gordon they had a trajectory and john davidson they had a plan and they had a path it's like now it's like we need more toughness okay we'll bring in more toughness 
oh shoot that didn't work let's bring in more skill and I grew up in New York City as a huge Rangers fan when I saw them making the Tarasenko and Kane moves I was like this feels like late 90s Neil Smith yes not gonna work absolutely um and I know a lot of it was ownership driven and and it just sort of felt they have a they were they were building something really good and then all of a sudden what what the kings have done really well is they've been very judicious in their moves they they have a plan and they haven't tried to swing the pendulum in five different directions the rangers on the other hand have and this in some ways all benefits to bring it back to the bruins i know it's a bruins podcast this all benefits the bruins because I think a lot of like I think a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference, some got better maybe, but ultimately, you know, again, as long as Patrice Bergeron comes back, which is the the big thing with the Bruins, I I think they at least sort of have a short and long term plan. I think a lot of teams, like say the Rangers again, and again, you could catch lightning in a bottle like the Panthers did, yeah, run or like the Rangers even did two years ago for that matter, go to the uh, Eastern Conference Final. but I, I just, I don't really see the improvement there, nor in Toronto, uh, Pittsburgh, not yet, unless they get Eric Carlson. We'll see how that happens. I and- mean, they, Pittsburgh, like, brought in a few decent players. Like, Riley Smith, I thought, was a, um, a good acquisition. He's a useful player coming off a of Stanley Cup. Um, but And that, that speaks to the cold-hearted nature of the GMs out in Vegas, where we talked about Vegas earlier. Like, yeah. one of the reasons they're successful is because they will jettison whoever they need to jettison if, uh, if another, a better player or a, a better team move comes along. And, you know, they obviously like Barbashev in the playoffs and what he brought to the table and, and thought he was a better player, a, more, a winning player, a more sort of well-rounded player than Smith was. And so they kind of traded them out and and just, you know, jettisoned Smith to to Pittsburgh but to your point like Pittsburgh didn't make the playoffs like they needed to do something big you know they needed uh something substantial not we're going to bring in a bunch of peripheral players and you know throw a couple of veteran pieces in there and see if we can squeeze more juice out of Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang and Sidney Crosby and you know they did re-up Tristan Yari which is fine but um they do need a big car something like Eric Carlson which I don't it would be interesting to see how he plays in Pittsburgh if he goes there but they need to make a move like that. Like I felt the same thing about Washington, very disappointed with them. Yes. Uh, when you watch them and when you watch the way the season ended for them, there were sellers selling off Garnet Hathaway, Dmitry Orlov, and their big move is to buy cheap on uh, Max Pacioretty coming off a couple of Achilles, uh, you know, surgeries. So like, it, it's interesting to watch the Eastern conference right now because some of the traditional teams that have been really good, the Flyers, uh, you know, the Rangers, I still think are going to be decent, even though, even though the plan doesn't seem to be there. And that's a tribute to what Gorton built and the pieces he had in place yeah. before he left. But like the Flyers, um, the Capitals and the Penguins, the Metro division, I think is a mess. And a lot of the traditional teams are falling Carolina, out, yeah. aside from Carolina. Whereas I think the Atlantic division, like Tampa is still obviously going to be strong, even though they didn't do a ton um toronto is still a playoff team they're just not going to win in the playoffs based on the moves that they've made and the talent that they have um florida i think it was less lightning in a bottle they were two years ago they were the president's trophy winners and that's a really good team and they added a nor a, a hard trophy candidate matthew kachuk to a really good team like that's a team that is going to be good for a while like they've got good pieces in the primes of their careers um 
but and you also have Detroit, Buffalo, Ottawa, all getting better. You know, yeah, in yeah, Atlantic Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. So, like mean, there's going to be a lot for the the Bruins. I think are going to be more challenged to get in the playoffs because the division on its own is better. But I do think like the teams that they've been neck and butting heads with, namely the Lightning and the Leafs, they're kind of in the same situation the Bruins are in salary cap wise. So they can't stand to like make huge upgrades either. So in that sense, you know, it's good for them. But like the bottom feeders in the Atlantic division are not going to be the bottom feeders for much longer. Uh, Montreal may be a year or two away still, even though I, I highly believe in what Jeff Gorton and Kent Hughes are selling. And I think long term, they're going to build a really good team there. But like the other bottom feeders in the Atlantic division are going to be substantially better this year. Well, it's funny you mentioned Gordon and Montreal, and I'm just thinking about some of the symmetry with uh, what we were just talking about with the Rangers and that he had a plan. He was, he was very detailed. He had a plan and it, it was building upon, it was building brick upon brick upon brick. It wasn't sort of trying to come up with some sort of weird Frankenstein type model of a team like he was really really good at being judicious with his moves and and you're right he's doing the right things in in Montreal I I agree with you I think they're a few years away but I I also think I think the lightning the lightning and the Bruins to me are are the class of the Atlantic division when it comes to the playoffs yeah playoffs and as far as Pittsburgh goes I've said this a long time and it's something that Brian Burke said to me a, lo- a while ago. I, I did this piece for the athletic where it was like, what if the ducks won the draft lottery in 2005? And I remember he, he said something to the effect of, and I was like, well, you know, you won the cup, you know, with the ducks. It, it didn't really matter that much. He goes, we would have won multiple cups with Sid. And right. I personally, and you've seen Sid for years. I mean, he is just so good. And until he really falls off, I, I can't, but I mean, my father always, I always joke around my dad about Sidney Crosby because he's a diehard Rangers fan. And he's just always complaining about Sidney Crosby whining and this and that. I'm like, dad, <laughs> hey, he's a really good guy. <laughs> like, like yep. we met in locker rooms. Like he is a good dude. He is we, a good dude. And Although he did like during the 2013 playoffs, uh, when the Bruins were playing the uh, Penguins and they ended up sweeping them. I got on a flight during the series to go from Pittsburgh back to Boston. And I was on a jet blue flight and the pilot heard a baby crying in the back of the plane on the jet blue flight I was on. And it was packed with like, story. and so he said something about like Sidney Crosby over the loudspeaker being in the back of the plane because it was a crying baby. And I ended up putting it on Twitter and it turned into this like viral tweet that even Sidney Crosby knows about it heard about. Cause I talked to one of his buddies about it. Um, but like that's like that that's part of his passion and like how much he cares. And I think he's curbed that to a degree too. But like he does have a little bit of that sort of like um, you know, face of the league, powerful guy, like, you know, he's gonna exert some influence in his gamesmanship to a degree with the wet refs and working them too. Yeah. Um, his perspective. But like he's never gonna like to to your point, he's never gonna shake that image <laughs> or no, that reputation or that part of it. Yeah. Yeah, my if, if you're a fan of an Eastern Conference team, you are always going to think of him whining to the referees. Just like, if you want to go to the NBA, it's Tim Duncan always, you know, the Duncan face uh, right. to the referees. I don't know if you remember that. He's <laughs> yes. always complaining to the referees. But yeah, but that but the thing with Pittsburgh, though, to watch out for with them is that, and you mentioned some of the moves they made in the in the bottom six and the, and the depth, is the biggest knock on Ron Hextall there was that he was terrible on depth. And so with 
that's the thing to look out for with them is that if Kyle Dubas uh, and whoever they they get there as far as management wise can work on the depth pieces, you have Sidney Crosby is not making a ton as far as superstar wise goes. And if he's still a 90 plus point player, as is Kenny Malkin, and if Chris Letang can have a bit of a bounce back season this year, I mean, obviously an absolutely horrible situations happening to him outside of his control last season. Yeah. Uh, and they get decent goaltending, maybe add Eric Carlson. I I like their team a lot, mostly because of Sid. But one one quick team to not sleep on, and again, it just goes back to the core team toughness. Colorado, if they're healthy, um, and yeah, they won't have Landis Cog, but gosh, man, if they're healthy, I I think Kel McCarr may be the best player in the NHL. Yeah, he's one of them, no question. Like, I mean, like he's the one when you talk to kids, my son's age, uh, a lot of them, that's their favorite player and the one they love to watch. And that usually speaks to how good he is or how good the player is. He plays every, every minute, plays hard minutes, plays plays defense, plays offense, can score, can defend. I love that. I love a lot of the pieces they have there. Did they get better this off season? I don't think Ryan Johansson's really the answer on a, on a second line center, but with Nashville eating 50% of his salary, it's, it's, yep. it's a much easier pill to swallow, but, and if he's motivated then, cause he's never won a Stanley cup and he's with a competitive team, maybe that's the right gamble you make, but yeah, I, I, I like them an awful lot. And I, I, I like they, they were active. I, I've always liked Miles Wood, even though he's been con- inconsistent in New Jersey and he's had injury stuff uh, going on. But like that a bottom six player that just crashes the net and is an absolute pain in the ass to play against, like, and is a big, strong guy that's like straight ahead fast. Like I've always liked, and it's not huge money that they yeah. signed for. Like I, he's going to bring something to the table there too. Uh, I, I definitely like what Colorado did. Let's go quick lightning round through Ooh. some of the other teams and you can give me your thoughts. I'll list a bunch and you can give me your thoughts. Um Chicago Blackhawks, I thought were a winner. Obviously, Connor Bedard, generational player. I'm buying in on him big time. I think he's going to make an immediate impact. Like, obviously, I don't think he's going to be like Hart Trophy uh, candidate right off the bat, but I think he's going to elevate them quite a bit, and he's going to have a a huge impact in the NHL right away. Uh, And I liked that they brought in Taylor Hall, Nick Foligno, Corey Perry, some veteran guys to kind of bring them along too and show them the ropes that are good leaders good competitors. Like I like what Kyle Davidson's doing there. Uh, Columbus, Adam Fantilli, I think is the kind of, you know, star of a young forward they needed and can plug in with Johnny Gaudreau and, and help him start to elevate them. Uh, and I also like, you know, that they beefed up their defense, Ivan Provorov, Damon Severson, uh, obviously El, uh, Merzlikens is going to have to be really good for them, but you know, I like what they did. Minnesota got the good luck charm, Pat Maroon. I, automatically I know I love that move for the wild next year. Big rig. Uh, Ottawa, I like that they got Junis Corposalo. I think that's a big upgrade for them in net. Uh, yeah, and yeah. even though they didn't get, uh, they couldn't keep Alex to bring it. That's a talented young core. Um, Winnipeg, I, I put as a winner because I like the package they got for Pierre-Luc Dubois. And they got rid of Blake Wheeler, who clearly was another player there that I think Rick Bonus, when he had that exasperated press conference at the end of the year, <laughs> I think that was about Pierre-Luc Dubois and Blake Miller, Wheeler to a degree. And it's no con- uh, coincidence they're both gone. Um, Edmonton Oilers didn't do much because the salary cap, the Boston Bruins I have as a loser because they couldn't do a lot besides bargain basement. I did like the Lucic signing, but like, you know, they wanted to keep Bertuzzi. They couldn't, 
they had to, you know, bring players like James Van Riemsdyk's, who I'm not sure how much he's got left in, uh, and he may have to play a top six role, which he'll help on the power play. But, you know, they had to bring in bargain basement players because of their situation. Uh, and the Vancouver Canucks, who I think needed to make some substantial moves and really didn't. So those those are the last groupings of players I had. Any thoughts on any of those? I first off your your last team Vancouver I I don't know what in the world they're doing they're a mess um, like let's just call it like it is there I've talked yeah. to people in NHL circles and they talk about what a mess that place is so it, like it I, clearly I, comes from ownership because yep. if, because I mean if you're they're doing the same thing Jim Benning did so they're not doing yep. anything different and you have a guy like Jim Rutherford in charge now who I have a tremendous amount of respect for and did tremendous things in Pittsburgh and Carolina won a Stanley Cup there too what, what, what I, it's the same stuff it's 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 more the same um it, we're also forgetting some of the coaching stuff with columbus with hiring mike babcock um yeah. which is going to be fascinating overall yes. it's basically like you're bringing someone like torts like yep. all, all over again yep formed mike babcock supposedly um but it'll be interesting you know and and he'll make them columbus might just be a place where you have to have a star coach like that you kind of built you know build the pr and and everything else around and then you know you hope the players like elevate it up but that's kind of what torts was to start in columbus he was like the show more interesting than when they had him and in a market like that you need to at least have a big name someone like that and look they they were lucky to get fantilli at number three even though even if they got leo carlson at number three i still think it would have been fine for them I Leo yep. Carlson for all I've read and heard it seems to be a tremendous player for Anaheim um what are some other teams you said the Bruins were a loser uh what but what if they re-signed Bergeron for league minimum I I you know I'd say status quo I guess they were I wouldn't put them as a big winner or loser but I just you know having to sell off Taylor Hall having to bring in like basically sign five players for the salary that you were paying Taylor Hall just speaks to, and, and like, it's short-term, right? I, they're not a long-term loser because the Bruins know this is just a one season of pain on the salary cap. Yeah. And then after this year, because the, um, the escrow is done because of all the COVID stuff, the salary cap's going to go way up. They have a bunch of players contract expiring. So they're going to have a ton of money after this year. The salary cap issue isn't going to be an issue anymore after this season for them. So they just kind of have to navigate maneuver this year and figure out a way to be competitive and have a playoff team without making too many moves that are going to long-term compromise them or damage them just because of the one year that they're going through. So they're a real, a real interesting sort of spot, but I did put them as a loser basically because they had to trade Taylor Hall and because they couldn't keep Tyler Bertuzzi, even though they wanted to. So like, you know, they're not as big a loser as some of the other teams, but I would still put them in that category, even if they get Bergeron back, which they may. I do like, you mentioned the Blackhawks as a winner. I do like that. I have seen that before with veteran players being brought in to sort of, I guess, be around a younger player. Whether that works or not, I have no idea. It just basically depends on if if the kid has it. I mean, again, I, I keep going back to a guy like Sid. He had it right off the bat. I mean, he was, and same with McDavid. They were professional. They were polished. And some guys have to go on what I like to call the hero's journey. Like, uh, <laughs> yes, like Jack Eichel. Nice, nice Joseph Campbell reference right there. I yeah, like exactly. Jack Eichel, who had to become a villain and then have a redemption story. We talked about Austin Matthews. Maybe that happens with him too. But, yeah, but Ka- and Cassidy got him to buy. That was the big buy-in with Vegas. Yeah. Like put them yeah. over the top. 
Exactly. And I mean, it's not, we talk about Matthews. It's not to say it doesn't happen with him too, that he come kind of becomes this gritty two-way force in the playoffs. Haven't seen it yet. Maybe it happens, but in regards to Chicago, they are big winners in part because of Kyle from Chicago. Yes. That is, I, I, my biggest litmus test always as to whether hockey is crossed into the pop culture sort of realm is if I show a video to my wife and she thinks it's funny and she thought that was funny. And I was actually very nervous for him when he was lift, listing off names uh, in regards to when he got the man on the street situation. Yes, I was too. They was going to give away something like a player they were interested in or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and he listed off so many players and I, I remember messaging with friends of mine in Chicago who were just, Blackhawks fans and we just were like yeah he looked like he could have just been one of us hanging out yep in, in Nashville with the backwards hat and well and, the, 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 his reaction to the last question about the it being rigged for them getting the number one pick was no. <laughs> it, it almost looked scripted to me it looked like a commercial or something it was that yeah funny. like well-timed comedically like he was really funny with the way he did it he was offended by that question I thought I thought <laughs> he was really bothered by it I I, I, I that's just, that, that's what it looked like to but he didn't I, mean, I like, think he wanted to like show like that it was definitely not rigged but he also kind of was having some like fun with it too like and that's what my read on it is I thought it the way he reacted to it was really funny you know and, and not in like a pissed off way kind of in a yeah no definitely look, we're a franchise in desperate need of goodwill yes uh, and we don't need to we don't need to go in on everything that happened there 2010 onwards or whatever but yep. um that was and that felt like a breath of fresh air to me and and that that video plus Bedard plus the moves they made felt like a real turnover moment for them yeah it was a reset they needed that that's why they had to cut ties with Taves after last season that's why they had to trade Patrick Kane that's why they had to kind of sweep out all of the old guard of the dynastic the past dynastic era and really start new. They needed a reset. And yeah. I think that this, this summer and this off season was exactly what they needed. And now, you know, maybe Seth Jones won't be so miserable there after signing, thinking he was going to like a playoff team or an up and comer and uh, oh, realizing man. they were like basement dwellers for the next couple of seasons. I, I, I was covering Nashville when he fell to them and in 2013 and that you could write a book on the 2013 draft and the top four and how that all broke down. That's just so fascinating to me, but cause he was the number one prospect. And then Colorado takes McKinnon. And then Florida basically said beforehand, okay, if they're taking McKinnon, we're going to take Barkov. Like, they, like it was basically all public knowledge. And then it was at yep. number three, seeing Steve Eiserman and uh, David Poyle talking on the draft floor in New Jersey and just sort of us wondering what they were talking about because Tampa had the number three pick and they took Jonathan Drouin and then Seth Jones falls to Nashville. And then Seth Jones is there, plays his rookie year, and then he ends up getting traded. And but I remember 2013, they were comparing that to the 03 draft. And now obviously they're comparing the 23 draft to the 03 draft. And really at the end of the day, and I remember I think it was Dustin Brown said this to me. And if it wasn't, I apologize to Dustin Brown if I'm misquoting him. A, a player said this to me in a locker room once. Um, but it's a crapshoot. The draft oh, yeah. is a crapshoot. And, and 2003 just ended up 
But I will say this quick funny story about Hugh Jessman, the, the last guy to make the NHL. Uh, the I first remember Hugh Jessman. Yes. In 2003. Uh, was it was a Rangers draft pick, right? He was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The one team that whiffed was the Rangers in 03. Go figure. But he played, played at Dartmouth. I, I yes, he did play at Dartmouth. And I do remember, yeah, his nickname was Huge Specimen. But <laughs> friends with a, uh, a guy who I went to college with at Vanderbilt. And I remember just bumping into him at the rec center. He was visiting him. I <laughs> like in college. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, you were drafted by the Rangers. He's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, I'm Josh? Like, nice to meet you. <laughs> um, back when I was a Rangers fan, uh, it was it was funny. I don't know. But, like, I knew – I mean, but yeah, you just – you never know. I mean, you, you just – in 03, the Ducks ended up with Corey Perry and Ryan Getzloff. I mean, the, the Flyers got Mike Richards and Jeff Carter. Well, the Bruins uh, drafted Patrice Bergeron in the second round. Yeah, he'd be the number one overall pick now in that. If you redrafted that entire draft, dude. I, don't, I mean, we can end with some Patrice Bergeron love here if you want, but <laughs> go for I, it. Oh my God, what a! I I love watching that guy play. He is. If you told if you guy him Kopitar, mostly him though, just because he's so intense. Like Kopitar is more kind of fluid, a bit more offensive, but just man what what a great player <laughs> like i mean he's you put him i put him on of that sort of era i he's on the mount rushmore with sid with taves um pain man he's just he's just i'd put dowdy there maybe um he's ovechkin just, ovechkin yeah obviously ovechkin um yeah. just wow just such a tr- I, I don't know if I would say he's underrated. I hope we get at least another year out of him in Boston. I hope it's as good as it was last year. Yep. Um, well, that's part. I mean, that may be part of the reason at the in the end result where why we do get another year out of him is because last year was good. Like he won another Selkie, had a strong year. Obviously, he was hurt in the playoffs, and that you know put a put a, a real emphasis on what happened and why it happened, I think was because he was probably like 40% in trying to play uh, when he, when he came in from uh, game five on, but like, I can't say I've known the guy for 20 years now. Like I was covering my first year covering the Bruins was his rookie season in 03, 04 when he was really shy, not very sure of his English, just basically had peach fuzz on his face. He was the youngest player in the league at 18 years old. And, you know, nobody thought he was going to make the team. And all of a sudden he just flashed in camp and kept going and going. And you'd, you'd ask Mike Sullivan about him. And he'd always get this weird smirk on his face when you would talk about him. Cause he knew exactly what he had. He could tell right away how good he was. Um, and he just kept getting better and better and better as things were going on. And as the years passed, but the thing you say about Bergeron is obviously he's a winner. Obviously he's like, I think the best two way center of his generation, hall of famer, like Ever, all that stuff. Maybe ever no question but like the thing about him is he's a better person than he is a player and when i've known him for a long time awesome guy just like exactly what you would want your hockey player to grow up to be plays the right way leads the right way includes everybody like it, it you know at this point in his career it's very instinctual as far as leadership and bringing guys in and sort of being a leader of men like the guy is a special human being and it's been a real like pleasure to be able to like cover him and watch him. So selfishly, I hope he plays another year because and it'd be another year of like sort of tailing him around and watching him go through the NHL. And it's fun. You know, it's enjoyable to see somebody that's that good a person and player. And you know how it is in this industry. 
you're not rooting for teams, but you do root for individual players, people you like, people you think are good examples, people you think are the right kind of people to be in the positions that they're in. Like he's one of those guys, no question about it. And it's his 20th season. It's the hundredth centennial year of the Boston Bruins. He went, if he goes out now and doesn't play another game, his last memory as a player is losing game seven on home ice in the first round against the Florida Panthers. Like I just, it doesn't compute to me that this is going to be it for him just based on all of the factors above. Now I understand he just had a son, Felix. He's got four kids now, three boys, one girl. His oldest oldest Zach is uh, like seven. He's uh, same age as my daughter. Um, you know, I've, I've seen him watching Zach at learn to play hockey and all that stuff. Like, and he's like the proud dad with his camera out, like taking the videos and everything. Like, I think though, he wants to start like coaching his kids and like being more involved. And it's hard to do that when you're the captain of an NHL team. So I understand like the balance between the two things right now and, and trying to weigh it all to make the right decision for him and his family. And I get the pull of like retirement because he can finally be a full-time dad and he can like not have to worry about being a captain. You know, you and I know, we know when we we've seen up close and personal, the demands of all these guys, especially the star players where they're constantly being asked to do this interview, to do that, to make this phone call, to make this video, to like make this appearance, like whatever, like when you're the captain of the team, not only are you worried about yourself and doing all that stuff, but you're worried about everybody else in the room and you're worried about the culture of the organization. Like it's hard to be, super involved in other things when you're doing all that stuff as an, as an NHL captain and a guy that's been in the league for 20 years. So, and it's kind of an ambassador for the game at this point. So I get why it's a really difficult decision for him, but selfishly, I hope he just goes one more because I'm sure he's getting advice from a lot of people. And he knows at this point, you know, being almost 40 years old, like once you play, you're done and it's not coming back again. And once you make that decision, it's over. And if you still have something left in the tank now and you retire, you may 10, 20, 50, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, you may really regret like retiring when you were still able to play at a really high level because at that point it's gone. It's not coming back. So, you know, and I understand, I'm sure he realizes that. So I selfishly hope that he plays, but like it, it, the greatness of him as a person, a player can't be understated. Just fantastic human being. And if he's listening, thank you. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. So absolutely, okay, I, don't, I don't get around as often anymore. And I, I remember last summer I was doing the Shea Weber piece for uh, the Athletics Angel '99 uh, project. He was great, and I, I brought up to him uh, the '16 World Cup, which I was fortunate enough to cover with Yahoo Sports, and the line he had with him and Bergeron and Crosby, and how you're sitting there and you think that it's going to go to another game against team Europe. And I'm going to have to stay, I mean, granted, like what I, we're very lucky with what we get to do and we get to go. And I I don't deny that, but I had been in Toronto, like staying in a hotel away from my wife for like 14 days or whatever at that point or 15 days, I was ready to go home. Yep. And the, the prospect of having to stay like another day to watch like team Europe versus Canada when Canada was so good. And we knew that they were just toying with everyone if they weren't winning games or weren't, coming close to win games we we wanted Canada to win so we could go home and (laughs) I I remember him and his line stepped up big time in the in the in the in the deciding game of that series and I was just like thank you and I brought up the fact that their song was we damn boys um whenever they scored a goal and how that was just seared my memory he was like yeah we damn boys so <laughs> I mean, between him, between Marshawn, they, 
I I mean, Bruins fans who are listening to your podcast, like I really enjoyed covering them and they were just great to me. And I, I think I've let the Bruins PR staff know that and let them know that. And if they're listening now, thank you. You were great. Josh, that is a fantastic way to end it. Thank you, Josh Cooper, for joining us. Thank you to Patrice Bergeron uh, for a fantastic career that we hope goes on for one more year. <laughs> Forever. And, yes, let's do it. Uh, play at LeBron, play at least 50. Play, play, you know, he'll, he'll play till his kids are, are in the NHL. Let's do that. Yeah, so he can, so he can do the Gordie Howe thing and, and play on a line. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And uh, thank you to our sponsors, FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Network, and also to Factor Meals, uh, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Head to factormeals.com slash hags50 and use code, hag, hag, use code hags50 to get 50% off your first box. That's a great deal. Another great deal, Josh Cooper, joining us today. Thank you very much, Josh. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. That, that's made me hungry. I'm going to go eat something. There yeah. you go. Go, go crush a, a late breakfast out there on the West Coast. Um, and thank you to all you for listening. That's it for this week's Pucks with Hags podcast. We'll see you at the ring.